0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Zen Tech podcast. And with me in the virtual studio today, I have two special guests, um, Dave Bell and Dave Yates. Hi, guys. Hello. Good morning. So it might be good to have a couple of introductions. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourselves and what you do at Zen?
1: Yeah. So my name's Dave Bell. Um, I've been working at Zen since around about two thousand and seven. Um, I work as a network designer for Zen's uh, car network, so anything related to the termination of customer connectivity or car connectivity, uh, I get involved in helping design and implement them solutions.
0: Cool. And Dave, why? Dave Yates?
2: Yeah, so um, I'm a solutions architect uh, within Zen, or a customer solutions architect, I guess, um, so... Um, our roles to create solutions that meet customer requirements and customer needs. Um, so I've been at Zen probably not as long as you two guys. I'm coming up to my eighth year in January next year.
0: Oh, we're all pretty much veterans, though. If you've got past five years, I I call you a veteran. So that's that's fine. And we were just we were just saying before we started recording that. We might get interrupted by deliveries. So, how how is your Christmas shopping going, the two of you? You almost done, or is there more to buy?
1: Uh, I outsource all of mine to the wife, uh, <laughs> so I believe we're okay.
0: How about you, Dave? As far as
2: I'm aware, we uh, we're on track.
1: Good, <laughs> good.
0: I've got. It wouldn't surprise you to know I've still got a mountain of tap to be delivered this week and next. So including stuff from, from overseas, that'll be interesting. See so, yeah, how the post copes with that. So the, the 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 topic we've got today is IPv4 exhaustion. And I guess a good start point for the listeners out there is to understand a little bit about what we mean by exhaustion. So why why do we seem to have a problem? Um, so open question to both of you. IPv4, what is it about and why are we running out of it?
2: I guess um, uh, I'll jump in there first. Uh, I'm sure Dave's going to have other uh, perspectives and opinions. But um, the internet, as we know, it's been around um, since the 1970s, really. Um, It was originally designed um, by the American government to enable um, aspects of its infrastructure to talk to to each other. So primarily the the defense elements of the defense and also um, academia as well. Um, uh, and I don't think anyone could have foreseen back then exactly how um, much explosive growth the internet would would experience in the 90s mm. and 2000s. Um, I mean, back then it would seem that I think I, I don't think anyone would have would have seen that 4.2 billion addresses that that IPv4 has available um, would ever have been consumed. But um, now that everyone's connected to the internet, not just you know, small branches of the, of the American government. Um, It's, it's turned out that 4.2 billion is nowhere near enough um, to enable all devices to be connected and, and communicate. So Mm
0: -hmm.
2: um, there's been a couple of key dates really. I think the one that, that probably is the, the marker and sort of set the, set the tone was 2011. Mm -hmm. um, When uh, to coin a populist phrase that the internet ran out of addresses um, or spare addresses. What that really means is that the, the organization which allocates the, the addressing um, at the top level uh, allocated its last available block that had been unused. Um, at that point there was, there was, you know, there's still space available in the mm-hmm. local registries, but, but the, the, the sort of top echelon, if you like it, uh, officially run out of capacity
0: because it does sound like a lot doesn't it 4 billion but what's led to that um depletion um i guess there are a lot more computers in the world than there were in the 90s but is there anything that's that's really driven that um that consumption
1: so to start off with um the allocation of addresses it's not particularly efficient so everything has to be allocated in powers of two. So you get like two, four, six, eight. Sorry, that's wrong, isn't it? Two, four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two, 16, 32, and so on. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted, say, 64, 65 addresses, you would have to take 128 because that's the, the logical allocation for that. So allocating addresses is, is inefficient to begin with. Mm. Uh, we, You know, work has been done over the years to make it more efficient, um, but it is really inefficient. Um, and then there's been the explosion of things like cloud computing. So if you've got Amazon with their massive data centers of machines all wanting um, workloads running on them, um, and they, all those machines require an IP address. Um, consumers are different. So we all walk around today with a phone in our pocket, which requires an IP address to communicate with the internet. Um, your households now are you know, much more technologically connected so you've got, mm-hmm. you have know doorbells fire alarms tvs all of these require ip addresses so it's just every aspect of the of the world really has mm-hmm. has changed um quite quite dramatically over the past five ten years it is uh, with it everything is a, requiring it is a huge change you
0: know it's a huge change isn't it i think that that internet of things is probably the thing that the original architects, designers didn't really envisage, and we we were saying last week, we were having a chat um, among a group of us about the the issue that affected AWS um, last week in the US, and and someone's doorbell stopped working. So <laughs> it's, it's true, isn't it? You got all this stuff, and it's all connected, and that's driving this this uh, consumption. And because that, I guess that brings us on to what was intended to be the solution to this, which is IPv6. Anyone venture to describe what that is and and how it's meant to improve matters?
1: IPv6 works very similar to IPv4, Um, it's just the addresses are are much, much, much bigger. So IPv4 is um, a 32-bit address, so you'll often see that as um, address like 1.2.3.4. Whereas IPv6 is a 128-bit address, so that's um, it's four times the size. And that gives you a dramatically increase in um, addresses available. Um, so I think one of the, the popular ways of describing it is IPv6 can give you one IP address per every grain of sand on the planet. <laughs> so it's a huge, you know, it's even though it's, it's only going from to four times the size, it gives you a huge, huge increase um, in addresses Um you can say you know four point two billion is the IPv four, but you know mm. the actual number in IPv six. I've got no idea where to begin even describing that number. It's it's that big.
0: Yeah, it's some it's some massive massive number, and it, it's it's probably interesting to our listeners as well that it's not a new technology. Um, when was it? When did it first get its specification?
2: Well, I think the the first RFC, um, so which which is sort of like a. The first steps towards a standard was was put together in the early nineties, wasn't it, Dave? Certainly, the early uh, to mid nineties.
1: Yeah, around about 90, 98, I think the first one yeah. was released okay. or standardised.
2: So it does show you that even you know it's been a long time really. There's been a, a an acknowledgement in the in cer- certain part of the internet community anyway that okay. IPv four wasn't going to you know scale very long and yeah. You know, I think that the the main thing which has driven it really is the fact that it's just the, the absolutely enormous explosion of of people connecting to the internet. Mm. Um, as we mentioned earlier, it was originally designed to only connect sort of defence and, and research computers together. Um, and in fact, when when the when the internet was originally designed, it was it was designed so that actual individual computers would connect directly to the internet as well. Um, we had to do something in the 90s because even mm. then it looked like we were going to run out of IP yes. addresses if, if that trend was allowed to continue. So technologies such as NAT were, were brought in to prolong its lifespan and they've done mm. really well because you know here we are over 20 years later and we've, we're only really just about getting to the precipice.
0: Mm. I suppose the, the other question I've got, linked to that is you've got this protocol IPv6 that comes out in the era of Britpop 20 years ago why is it why is it taken so long um, and we're still not fully embracing it what 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 are the issues that have that have that have kept it back so to speak
1: so the initial issues were um, you know this standard gets written in 1998 but software uh, has to implement it. So uh, Windows XP only came out with IPv6 support in um, Service Pack 2, which was around about 9, uh, 2000 or so. And even that had to be enabled um, with a command. It, it wasn't just enabled by default. You had to go in and type some commands on a command line. Um, all the routers on the network, they all had to be upgraded to support it. Um, all the software that uses um, network connectivity all had to be you know, rewritten to include the IPv6 capabilities, so it wasn't just a case of switching it on, it was a case of we had to go and uplift everything. Mm. Um, we then got into a situa- situation where there's a chicken and egg scenario, so we know we need to enable IPv6 for our customers to be able to connect to the internet, but it's not really any use it was enabling IPv6 for our customers if there isn't anything IPv6 capable to get to. Mm. So there's a bit of a problem there. Yeah.
0: So you've got, you've got a number of things that you need to get to in order to see that transition happen. You need, um, applications, websites, internet resources to use it. As you say, Dave, to be accessible through it. And then you need the software and the operating systems and the applications to support it. So it doesn't sound, is it, is it compatible? Is it, is it backwardly compatible with IPv4 or is it, is it manifestly different? You have to make big changes to make it work.
2: Yeah, it's fair to say they don't re- they don't talk together at all. Well, um, they, they, there's a sort of been an uneasy coexistence really since V6 starts to be deployed. Um, and you, initially in the early stages of V6 deployment, you, there was lots of um, technologies defined to allow um, what was then islands, uh, isolated islands of, of IPV6 enabled nodes um, to communicate with the rest of the IPv4 internet, um, only recently has it got to the point where you're starting to see that balance shift, and actually, you, you, you have an emphasis on isolated IPv4 nodes being able to communicate with the IPv6 internet. Um, but yeah, essentially, you need a translator in the middle to enable mm. to enable the two to talk together.
0: Mm. And that kind of leads me on to a question about what's happening at Zen. So I know you two guys are involved in the technology advisory group and it's been, your area has been focused on this, on this issue. And that move to IPv6. What, what plans are you seeing going into place that are going to enable that for, for Zen customers? What, what are we considering? Um, as you say, they've those translation devices And, and at what point do you think, we won't need those translation devices anymore. Do you think there'll be a date in the future when IPv4 will just stop?
2: Uh, so it's, uh, the, the, the second question is much harder than the first. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll answer the easy one first, I think. Um, I think what, what we're doing um, initially is, uh, is probably the, the simplest thing to do, which is just to enable IPv6 by default. Um, for all our customers, um, starting with um, broadband—sorry, uh, new broadband, so ADSL, FTTC, FTTP um, customers. New customers will automatically get an IPv6 address. Mm. Um, that'll be followed by um, retrospectively enabling it for all um, existing broadband customers as well. And then there'll be further packages of work to deal with customers who have got... Um, Sort of more enterprise, business-focused um, services like Ethernet. Mm. Um, well, um, we're we're also looking at, as you mentioned there, uh, Stu, um, rolling out technologies to enable them to talk together. So these these um, translation technologies, if you like, um, and uh, the the two that we're looking at as the the first two promising candidates are something called carrier-grade NAT. Mm-hmm. um uh, and also uh, simultaneously as well something called ds lite um which both achieve the same aim or, or look to achieve the same aim of allowing v6 um devices to speak to v4 devices and vice versa
0: okay and and in terms of that work dave um when when do we think when is that work going to start when when would customers be able to start using ipv6
1: so we've actually had ipv6 um on our network for quite a considerable time now mm-hmm. um so i've had it in my house since five years ago or so when uh, when i moved in um so we, we have had connectivity available of ipv6 kind of as like a, a trial basis for quite some time um in the new year we're going to start up programs these programs of work that Dave was just discussing um to actually enable it by default across the connectivity. So, starting um, probably around March, April next year, it should be the default, hopefully, for new broadband, and then that will progress as we uh, through the product sets as we move on.
0: Okay, that sounds that sounds really good. And um, if if you're a customer um, concerned about IPv six, whether you whether you you need it or you're, you're concerned about what the implications are of it changing. Is there anything to be concerned about? Are there any... Because you mentioned before, Dave, about software operating systems. Um, I guess most modern things um, would have IPv6 support. Um, Are there any other things that customers need to be aware of to get ready? Or will it just just work?
1: So we're not taking away the IPv4 capability. We're just adding IPv6 Mm. at this time. So... If your devices don't support IPv6, they'll continue to work. So I've got some um, Sona smart speakers at home which don't support IPv6, but they happily work over my connection um, because we still have the IPv4 connectivity. Um, anything that's reasonably modern, so uh, new iPhones, for instance, Android phones, laptops, co- uh, computers, they should all just, just work. The customers shouldn't need to do anything to enable it um, if it's supported in there. Hardware, software, application—it should just work. Okay,
0: that's quite reassuring. Yeah.
2: And it can um,
1: it can offer offer
2: potential um, you know performance improvements for services which are IPv6 native. Uh, things like Netflix, um, Facebook, uh, two that spring to mind. Um, you know, as soon as IPv6 connectivity is enabled, they, those services will use that by default and. In some cases, it can lead to an improved experience as well. So it's it's, it's an entirely positive change, this mm. really, I think, in terms of customer experience.
0: Okay. And I guess that, that um, those big five, big four, I'm <laughs> trying to count them up in my head now, but the likes of Facebook and, and, and Google and, and Apple, they've presumably made that transition to IPv6. So all the big services that people would use day-to-day they already have IPv6-enabled websites
1: and so on. You'd be surprised. So I actually did um, a little experiment beforehand. Um, so I uh, turned on my computer and I disabled IPv4 on it. And I did a bit of um, research to see what I could access and what I couldn't access. So I could get to Google services. They all worked just fine. I could get to Facebook. Uh, that was absolutely fine. Office 365 was another one that worked without any problems. Um, but then things like you'd expect it to work but don't. So Twitter just isn't there as far as ipv6 is concerned okay. uh, amazon their web front is uh, their shop front isn't accessible um so it's really mixed at the moment some things work really well over ipv6 and mm-hmm. it'll just just work some things and um, just don't uh, a lot of gaming services seem to be um only ipv4 so i, ch- I checked um, steam epic and the Play stars, uh, none of which worked at all. Okay, so it's really mixed it? at the moment.
0: That's interesting, especially from the point of view of Amazon, because that that then goes back to that question, Dave. That I know is a difficult one. Is is when when would IPv4 cease to be a thing? And I guess it's a difficult one to answer.
1: I think I'll be retired by the time that happens.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't see, I don't see IPv4. Um, Going away anytime soon, to be quite honest, because uh, I mean, there's lots of we, we've mentioned some of the some of the technical reasons why IPv6 adoption was so slow, um, you know, and that there are other factors as well. So the human factor, I think, is a big one. Mm. Um, you know, for for people like me who've been uh, and and Dave, I'm sure who've been looking at and dealing with IPv4 addresses for probably the best part of twenty, thirty years. Um, an IPv6 address is an is an alien and a, a an alien thing at mm-hmm. least to my eyes. Anyway, and something that's it's quite hard to fit inside my head. Um, so you have that thing as well, and you have the the other associated factor is, is that IPv4 just works. Um, there's a cost to implementing IPv6, and if you're in the fortunate position where you have enough IPv4 address space to to function, then Fundamentally, why would you mm. change? Um, so, I suspect it will. To make IPv4 go away, it's going to require um, some sort of a, a decision that be made where this mm. thing is getting turned off mm. by some sort of you know sort of overarching structural body. Because mm. um, left to its own devices, the commercial internet will just continue to use it until mm. we're all happily in our retirement homes. <laughs>
1: One of the things that's been touted is that the killer app comes along that can't spot IPv4. Mm. So like the new Netflix comes along and it has no IPv4 addressing. And Mm. so it's IPv6 only. Um, But whether that happens or not remains to be seen.
0: That's a good point, Dave, isn't it? Because I think one of the things that IPv6 often gets linked to is 5G and IoT. So I guess if we see a much greater um, introduction of devices Uh, smart devices um, universally so at the moment those ring doorbells and all those different things those Nest thermostats they're still in the homes of largely speaking early adopters but once that becomes mainstream then the sheer pressure in terms of the number of devices that you need to support might just push things over the edge because I know in other parts of the world needs must in terms of using IPv6 right now to do things like mobile telephony mobile data uh, in places like China. Um, so, yeah, well, it's an interesting one. Um, I guess just one more question before you. wrap up. If you're, a, if you're a technical person wanting to know more about IPv6 and how it differs, are there any good resources online or any books or materials that you'd recommend that uh, people have a look at if they want to learn more about it?
1: So there is um, a UK conference that happens um, a few times a year called uk um they often have presentations um about all things kind of network related uh, but ipv6 transition technologies is one that often props up and um, you can find that their videos are recorded and they're on youtube so you can go back and watch some of the old presentations that have happened um fantastic. that's one resource
0: fantastic yeah um We'll, put some links to that as well. Um, in the, in the show notes, so to speak. But, um, yeah, have a look on Google for UK Nuff. That sounds good. Okay. So I'd like to thank you both for taking the time to talk about this topic. It's a, an, interesting and important one as we move along and, uh, have a great Christmas, both of you.
1: Yep. You too, Ticker. And I'll, I'll, to
0: I'll speak to you all later. Bye bye. Bye
2: bye.